I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello friends, today is Saturday, October 15th, 2022, and this is episode 190 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. October is Spooky Reads Month, and today's episode is sponsored by A Ghost in Shining Armor by Therese Bahari. In this spellbinding romantic comedy set in Cape Town, South Africa, a woman with supernatural talent is haunted by a persistent spirit. Gemma Daniels can see ghosts and helps them settle their unfinished business, but the hotter-than-hot stranger she impulsively kisses on a bet is not only a phantom, he's determined to help her. Levi Walker has a second chance at life if he helps reunite Gemma with her long-lost sister and then never sees her again. The only way Gemma can explain Levi's presence is to pretend they're a real-life couple, and this unique spin on a fake relationship blends romance, comedy, and real-world issues in a story with a touch of magic. A Ghost in Shining Armor by Therese Bahari is available wherever books are sold and on kensingtonbooks.com. So this week's best thing are all of the season finales. Now, as I record this, I've seen the She-Hulk season finale and the Rings of Power, and I guess House of Dragons coming up tomorrow night. I'm not going to spoil any of them. Um, I will just give my brief impressions. She-Hulk, crazy, never seen anything like it. I don't know if I liked it, but I respected it, and that may be more important. <laughs> Rings of Power, that show, man, it's been tough. Um, after I watched it, I had to go and watch some background uh, videos, like, I was going to say nonfiction, but anyway, background videos and some of the characters, the, the big reveals, um, because, I, you know, I've read Lord of the Rings many, many years ago. After I finished reading Lord of the Rings, I was immediately going to read The Silmarillion, and then life happened and I never got around to it, but I was fascinated by the idea of it. And then after I'd done all that, I was like, well, I want to, you know, rewatch the beginning of Fellowship just to see Galadriel's intro. And of course, that turned into watching the first half of Fellowship of the Ring. My husband came in and we used to watch the, the trilogy like every year when we were dating and are first married. So I forgot how familiar I am with, you know, I was like saying dialogue along with it. I was like, how many times have I seen this movie? Um, so yeah, that'll be a thing. I'm sure we'll finish it at some point over the course of the next couple of days. We're in an age of peak TV, as Wong said in She-Hulk. Uh, I do think that it was a mistake to pit Rings of Power against House of the Dragon. They're very different shows, but because they're on at the same time, they're going to be compared to each other. And, you know, I guess depending on who you are, some people probably will like both. Some people will like one more than the other. The consensus I'm seeing is House of the Dragon is has an edge on Rings of Power. And and going back to watch Fellowship just really underscored some of the issues with that show. But it was still great to see the finales of the shows that I've uh, been keeping up with uh, so far. Also, as an aside and runner up for this week's best thing is the last minute appointment I got with my hairdresser yesterday because my hair was so dirty and I was really thinking about shaving my head as opposed to actually having to wash it because washing and twisting my hair is like a three hour process and my wrists were flaring and I was like, am I going to be able to do this? And then I got the text. They do like last minute appointments and specials on like a group text. And it was like 1 p.m. today, last minute appointment. And I looked at my calendar and I was like, yes, I can do that. Thank you. The universe did not want me to shave my head. And so I got my hair twisted. Shout out to Claudia at Ed Natural. She hooked me up. <sighs> and I feel so much better. 
I just, I, I guess I'm not in a period of shaving my head right now, but it's always right there. It's like the clippers are always calling to me. Writing update. I am back into Beastly Kingdom. Um, I spent part of the week rereading Savage City just to refamiliarize myself, to update my story Bible, which I never got the finalized, you know, information. I keep a story Bible in Scrivener as just a separate Scrivener document. And it records character information, locations, world building details, things that uh, quotes from, you know, published books that are canon that I need to refer to, magic systems, all of that stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I was rereading it, updating little details about certain characters. You know, my main character is introduced in that book, and I wanted to make sure to get a feel for what I introduced about her personality. Well, both of the characters, the hero and the heroine, are, are in book one. And and just spark some ideas about the story. So this came about because I, I went through to find you know, the outline, what I was doing with this book. I haven't touched it in months, so I had to just bring myself back up to speed I did not read the first fast draft because I just had a lot of resistance to doing that. And sometimes you have to push through resistance and sometimes you have to honor it. And I've chosen to honor it right now. Of course, that means I think I might be rewriting the whole thing. I know, it's crazy. But I'm also in a different place emotionally to where I was when I started writing the first draft of this book. And although the, the story is the same, the details, like the first chapter, where you enter the story, I'm considering changing. Some of the character traits of um, Zipporah, my heroine, I'm thinking of changing. There were a lot of things I wasn't comfortable with when I was fast drafting, and I was like, I'll just get through this, and I'll figure it out later in the, in the revision. Figure it out in post, right? But um, I think there's just a stronger way to start the story. And I started writing. Um, I had a meeting, so I couldn't finish. I only wrote like 800 words before I had to stop. But yeah, I got I got some additional inspiration that I think will carry me through this. But it does mean that I'm going to start over again. And I probably will be able to pick up chunks of what I had before. But I'm also considering doing a thing that is usually a mistake, which is not fast drafting. However, because the story has been been with me for so long, I think I can at least write the first half clean. I will probably have to fast draft the part that I've never written before. But starting over, I've already fast drafted up to the midpoint, right? Like, And the process is you fast draft so you tell yourself the story so that you know whether what you're doing is right or wrong and you can kind of feel that as you're going along. And then the next pass is clean. And so my rewriting of this next pass technically is a revision of what I've written before, even though I'm changing certain things. Because it might come to pass that I only I only rewrite the beginning and then the other scenes can say the same. Like, I have no idea. But I am thinking of making some some major shifts to the personality of my heroine. And then personality, backstory, wound, maybe not major shifts, but shifts that would change kind of what I have on the page already. So these are the things going through my mind. It's hard to walk away from a story for a while and then come back and pick up where you left off. That almost never works for me. There's probably some formula for the amount of time that you spend away versus how much you have to redo. You know, is it two weeks? Probably not a lot. Two months? Yeah. Six months? A year? Six years? Don't even look at it. Just, just start from scratch. So that's where I am. I'm, you know, I'm feeling good about it. Also, I needed to find a way emotionally into the story, you know, the whole blood on the page thing. I had to tap into a vein to find 
an emotional heart to these characters. And it's there. It was always there, but I, I had to locate it within myself and sort of align my own, you know, pain with the character's pain and figure out how I'm going to write it. So I think that is part of the new direction, the new characteristics of this character, the new wound or the shifting of these things. And another reason why I kind of have to start over because I'm just in a different emotional place. And I think it'll be stronger. Like I'm, I'm sure it will be stronger because of it. So no idea about the schedule, but I'm really not going to think about schedule until December in terms of pushing the book back. I know that I don't want to kill myself to try to get it out as fast as possible. And that's not going to be the best for the book. And it's better just to have a late book that's better than a on-time book that's worse. <laughs> but we're not thinking about that yet. And I, I just have this block, you know, it's like, it's a Leslie thing. It's like, I like to do what I say I'm going to do. I like to keep the schedule I said I'm going to keep. I want the pre-order to happen when it when I said it was going to happen. And if I have to twist myself into knots, which is not a good thing for me to do for myself personally, my health <laughs> and for the story. But that's just sort of the the element of rigidity of my brain and personality that I'm always trying to fight against. If you listened last week, I was talking about an article about success and happiness for authors. And during my deep dive into Lord of the Rings on YouTube, I also came across something completely different, which was a video on the movie Soul, that animated movie about the jazz musician. And it's from Lessons from a Screenplay, which is a great um, video channel. It used to be for doing sort of video essays on um, screenwriting, but storytelling in general. They don't make new videos anymore, unfortunately. But um, this one was great, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And it had sort of an answer. It was talking about the themes of the movie Soul, which I did see last year, the year before. And it was, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Great, great. Works for adults. Um, and there's a quote that I wrote down from this video essay about the theme of of the movie. And he said that if we decide that our lives won't be complete until we achieve a singular goal, then we miss out on all the life happening around us, which is what that movie is about. You know, the character, main character is a middle school music teacher, wants to be a jazz musician, has the audition of his life, you know, to, to reach his goal after years of rejection, gets the gig, then he dies. And the whole movie is about what happens to his soul. He tries to get back to get back to life so he can live out his life because he realizes that he wasn't really living because he was waiting until he achieved this success. He achieved this, you know, laudable goal. And what they say in the essay is that sometimes it's even harder when society says that your goal is a good thing. Like being an artist is respected in our culture, not, not a starving artist necessarily, but a successful artist is something that you'll get accolades for. And so it seems like it's a good goal. Like, yeah, middle school teacher versus, you know, jazz musician. Who wouldn't want that that change, that upgrade, right? But if you spend your life waiting to live or feeling like you're not complete until you get that goal, part of the movie is like what happens when you get it and you realize, oh, it's not what I thought. And so what I took from that is that, you know, as you're trying to achieve these goals, don't let the pursuit of the next thing stop you from appreciating what you have and living fully every moment that you have. And I mean, it's not new information. This is not something that's like a revelation. It's just sometimes you have to be reminded of things. 
And also shout out to Library Addict who commented. Um, she says, I think you need to enjoy the moment. Try to focus on the now and give yourself time to enjoy the sense of accomplishment when you reach your goal before setting a new one, which is exactly right, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is definitely easier said than done, but it's something to constantly remind yourself of, like as you cross these milestones and check things off. And also the idea of making a list of goals and checking them off, which reminded me of the idea that I got from Ronnie Lauren, author, to um, have a done list. Instead of a to-do list, make a done list so that you can see, oh, all the things that I've done and just feel good about yourself. (laughs) In that vein, some cool press things have happened to me in the last uh, couple of weeks. The panel that I was on at the National Book Festival, part of it was included in an episode of NPR's Code Switch, which is a podcast from NPR that I listen to actually um, semi-regularly. And that was super exciting. I got to be like, I'm on NPR. Like I wasn't on the radio, I was on the podcast, but still, it's really amazing. And then the Washingtonian Magazine, which is the local DC area magazine, um, has an article about Monsters We Defy, and I was interviewed for that. And you know, seeing my picture and my book in the magazine that, you know, has come to our house when I was growing up for, you know, years was really cool too. And I just have to post about that. I just, I got my copies. I actually, my husband went to the bookstore and he bought like three copies. And um yeah, all that feels really good and feels like something's happening. It's accomplishments. It's, it's something I didn't even think about, but it's like, oh, it's really cool. And so now it's up to me to try not to be cynical about it, just to really like enjoy it, be happy about it, and figure out what the next goals are. I also wanted to give a shout out to friend of the show, uh, Kiana Jones. Today is her wedding day. So congratulations on your wedding. I hope it's wonderful. Shout out to other October weddings. I had an October wedding also, and I think they're great. For me, getting married in October was a way to try to reclaim the month. Um, it's the month my father passed away, my grandmother passed away in October. So we had kind of a gloom around, you know, this month. And I just wanted to bring something happy and joyful to remember during this month also. And it's also fall. It's great to have the leaves around changing when you're getting married, when you're celebrating things. And yeah, so shout out to October weddings and anniversaries. And finally, I was listening to some black and brown authors on a podcast talk about the burden of representation in our books. And it got me thinking about that, um, the idea that it's a burden. I think what they were saying was that you know, a lot of times white authors will be like, oh, I don't want to talk about heavy things. I just want to talk about, you know, people falling in love and dragons and fairies and elves. And when you are a person of color, a lot of times there is the idea that, or the burden, quote unquote, of, of representing diversity and multiple cultures in your own culture in the books. And I'm, I'm questioning whether that is a burden or not. In certain ways, I understand what they were saying. It's like a responsibility also. And they talked about that too. I don't know that I feel a burden or responsibility necessarily. In some ways, yes. I've said before that I don't think that I was put on this earth to write about white people. I think there's plenty of other authors who are doing that and that's wonderful. But there's statistically fewer writing about black people in in different scenarios. There's a tweet I saw that was like, I want to read about black witches and black girls finding ancient relics and getting magical powers. You know, I want to read all these black stories, other things that other people get to do. And I was like, yeah. And it got me thinking, hmm, can I write a story about a black girl finding a magical relic and getting powers? Which I actually do have a draft of a story like that 
on my hard drive. But we're not talking about that. <laughs> One day. Um, so is that a burden? Is that a responsibility? Or is that just an interest? Is that just writing what you want to read? What is it? And if you view it as a burden, does that make the work more difficult? There are authors of color. I can think of several black authors who don't take on the burden at all. They write white characters. They make a lot of money doing that. Some of these people I didn't, I read for years and didn't know they were black. Um, and then I found out and I'm like, oh, and I looked back and I was like, are any of your characters black? What's happening here? I mean, it's a financial decision, you know, they're about their paper and they obviously don't feel any responsibility or burden to write characters who look like them. And I've thought about having like a secret pen name, like doing an experiment, having a secret pen name where I write my same stories, put white people on the cover, make them white. Would they sell better? I'm 100% sure they would They would sell better. And then I was having a conversation with another author talking about Colleen Hoover. Um, and I was just kind of being like, I have been a Colleen Hoover fan since like 2011, for real. And I feel like that old crotchety person who's like, when the band you like gets really popular, like, I love this band since the first album. Y'all are just the newcomers. I really get that because <laughs> it's just irritating. But I'm I'm so happy that she's finding success because I do. I love her books. She's one of my favorite authors and she has been for a very long time. But also, she writes entirely white characters. But I don't want Colleen Hoover to write black and brown characters. From what I know of her life, I've never met her, I don't know her, but you know, she lives in Texas. She I assume that she lives in a very white place. And I want her to write what she knows and do what she does to the best of her ability because she's doing it well. I don't need her to include, you know, token representation and diversity in her books. Other people might disagree. I want her to do what she does because whatever black person she puts in there, if she doesn't have any relationships with black people, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be authentic and real. So why? Why would we want that for these authors? The question is, could a, a Colleen Hoover, a, a an author of that caliber and talent writing black and brown characters, writing marginalized characters, have 85 books on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time for three years? I mean, there's certainly people of color on the New York Times bestseller list. There's certainly very popular books. But it just makes you think. So bringing this rambling stream of consciousness back to a point, which was, is representation a burden? Or is it a responsibility? Or is it none of the above? And I think your attitude on that might determine your happiness level with the industry, with the the vagaries of the industry. Honestly, I'm excited to write stories about people who look like me. And I don't... Um, I don't have any desire to do anything else aside from that like thought experiment of, oh, what if I write write books and see if they sell better? Those are the thoughts of the week. So this week, my goals, um, just get into Beastly Kingdom, get words down, keep moving forward and uh, see where I end up at the end of the week. And then after a few weeks, see about the schedule and what might happen there. But I hope that you all have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast.lpnlb.com. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. 
and My Imaginary Friends is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.